Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You're listening to the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, Episode 14. Ecologist Chris Morgan is no stranger to adventure. Over the last 20 plus years, he has worked as a wildlife researcher, a wilderness guide, and environmental educator on every continent that bears exist. From icy polar bear country at 81 degrees north to tropical Andean bear forests on the equator, Chris has sought adventure among the focus animals of his life, the bears of the world. Carnival work has also taken him to the Canadian Rocky Mountains, Scotland, the Pakistani Himalayas, southern Spain, Turkey, Borneo, Siberia and Alaska, destinations where his infectious enthusiasm for wild places and people has rubbed off on others. Chris has hosted TV productions for PBS, National Geographic Television, BBC, Discovery Channel and has appeared on The Late Show with David Letterman. He is a familiar voice in the world-renowned television series PBS Nature, having narrated 15 films since 2011 on topics ranging from lions to pelicans, the Australian outback to the Arctic tundra. 2015 saw Chris host four episodes of PBS Nature. The Last Orangutan Eden, produced by Emmy Award-winning wildlife media partner Joe Pontecorvo, and a three-part series Animal Homes, produced by Emmy Award-winning producer Anne Prum, which saw Chris travel the globe in search of the most fascinating animal architecture. Chris won Best Host Gold World Medal from the 2016 New York Festival's International TV and Film Awards. In 2013, Chris teamed up with the creators and cameraman of Frozen Planet and Planet Earth in The Great Bear Stakeout, a two-hour special co-produced by BBC and Discovery. He is host, contributor and bear guide in this unprecedented and visually stunning film about Alaskan grizzly bears. Chris hosts and narrates the Emmy-nominated film Siberian Tiger Quest, which premiered on PBS Nature. In this film, Chris embarks on a challenge to fulfill a lifelong dream, to find and film a Siberian tiger living wild and free in the forests of the far eastern Russian frontier. He was awarded Best Host by the International Wildlife Film Festival for his work. Chris received this same Best Host Award a year earlier for his role in Bears of the Last Frontier, a PBS Nature special he helped create. Chris is the featured character, host and narrator in this major three-hour miniseries that follows his 3,000-mile journey across Alaska by motorcycle in search of black, grizzly and polar bears. Chris authored an accompanying book of the same title, a large format publication that showcases the experience, the bears and the behind the scenes insight and stunning photos from the production of the film. Chris hosted Grizzlies of Alaska on BBC Two's flagship wildlife series, The Natural World, and considered it a huge honour as Chris's passion for wildlife was ignited when he was about three years old, in part by Sir David Attenborough, who was the host and narrator of countless episodes for The Natural World. 
Chris is executive director and co-founder of Wildlife Media, a non-profit conservation organization that oversees Bear Trek, a global campaign and independent feature documentary for bear conservation. This epic big screen film about a global natural history adventure brings untold stories of bears and colorful cultures in Borneo, Peru, Alaska and the Arctic. In addition to documenting Chris's motorcycle conservation quest across three continents, Bear Trek is a giant experiment that brings a new approach to raising awareness and funding for conservation through a high-end theatrical film, a campaign, and a social media movement changing hearts and minds along the way. Chris owns an ecology and environmental education organization in Bellingham, Washington State, and is the co-founder of the acclaimed Grizzly Bear Outreach Project. The Grizzly Bear Outreach Project, now known as the Western Wildlife Outreach, has been praised as a model for effective education outreach in the Northern Cascades and Selkirk Mountains, and has taken great steps to engage rural communities in grizzly and black bear information dissemination since 2002. The approach has recently been expanded to include cougar and wolf education needs. Chris is an accomplished and engaging public speaker and presenter. He spent several years as a frequent lecturer at Western Washington University's Huckley College of Environmental Science in Bellingham. He has a higher national diploma in conservation management, a BS in applied ecology and an MS in advanced ecology. In 2003, the Environmental Education Association of Washington honored Chris as Outstanding Environmental Educator of the Year. In 2008, his contributions to grizzly bear conservation in the USA were honored with an award from the Interagency Grizzly Bear Committee, a government panel responsible for the recovery of the great bear. Chris guides expeditions to many locations around the world to introduce people firsthand to the wonders of wild places, often among grizzly bears and polar bears. He knows that conservation depends on people, and if people don't see the connection between their own well-being and wildlife, there is nothing that can change. You'll often hear Chris say, what's good for bears is good for people. Chris has an acute sense of the power of media to bring hearts, minds and resources towards conservation. As one of the most gregarious, personable, and good-hearted larger-than-life scientists you'll ever meet, the response to his on-camera appearances has brought him incredible opportunities to promote the value of conservation for us all. Chris spends much of his work and playtime in the Northern Cascade Mountains one hour from his home. Despite his varied activities within the realm of wildlife conservation, Chris says that he's never happier than when immersed in bear country, the real world, as he calls it. Chris, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be on the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast. How's the festival been going for you so far? I feel like I've been here for about six months. <laughs> <laughs> it's only been four days. It's, it's, it's always near the end of the festival how it kind of feels like that, doesn't it? People are starting to flag left, right and centre right. here. But for all the right reasons, you know, it's, it's always an inspiring group of people here and... It's hard to keep up with the possibilities that emerge here, you know, and the new opportunities for partnerships and inspiration on not just stories and the kinds of stories, but, but the way to tell these stories these days. And um, I'm just getting involved in something new and it's really relevant here. So that's been exciting as well. So, yeah, it's, it's tiring, but really good all at the same time. Right. Yeah. That's right. And it's all it, it, you meet so many great people and then you're just seeing them all again throughout the day. And it's just like you meet more people at one of these and you're doing like a, a year of normal life. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, exactly. And it's just trying to keep on top of all that it can can be tiring but fantastic yeah so you're an ecologist a conservationist a host a filmmaker um, an author 
you've done some incredible stuff and you've got a lot going on. Uh, first of all, I just want to start with kind of how you got into wildlife filmmaking, the, the backstory, you know, how did it start for you? Yeah, it's been a, um, an unanticipated journey in some ways, you know. Um, I wake up every morning feeling pretty fortunate about the, the, the turns in life that brought me to being able to do what I love this much, you know. Um, I'll keep the story short, but it, when I was 18 years old, I went to a summer camp in New Hampshire uh, to work there as a summer counselor, as a camp counselor. And while I was there, ran into a bear biologist and I talked him into taking me out into the field and I'd never given a second thought about bears. Took me out into the field, but his study site was a garbage dump. We pulled up at this garbage dump and there were 14 black bears sitting on top of this, black, on, on top of this garbage. I'd never seen anything like it in my life before. The guy hands me a tranquilizer rifle and says, come on, we're going to go and start tranquilizing them and putting collars on. So I'm 18 from England. You can imagine the impact it had. We spent the night chasing these bears through this garbage and it literally changed my life. I was going to be a graphic designer before that. Um, came away from there and started on this journey of becoming an ecologist. So really went into science traveled around the world, f learning from as many people as I could in the field in Pakistan and in Ecuador and in northern Spain. And I wanted to find bears elsewhere. And where I went to find these bears, I found these amazing stories and people. And I'd come back just brimming with them, sitting around the kitchen table, you know, with, with family and friends and these exotic locations, you know. And uh, this was 30 years ago now. Um, so about 10 years ago, I decided I wanted to start making films to help these people that I'd learnt from in the field. Because to me, they needed two things. And one was exposure to tell their amazing stories that no one was hearing. And the other one was funding to help the work that they were doing to save our planet for us, basically, you know. So I came up with this concept of Bear Trek. And Bear Trek is this feature-length film, and it's taken us years to make it. And along the way, we've helped to fund uh, the projects that are in the film. We've given a couple of hundred thousand dollars to the people in Bear Trek, and these are biologists from, from uh, Canada studying polar bears, from Borneo studying sun bears, and from Peru studying spectacle bears. So they've all benefited from the film, and it's not even out yet. So we're That's super incredible. That's yeah. incredible. And then during that journey, uh, started to work, I hate, I hate to say discovered by, but we were kind of discovered by PBS Nature. Um, and they asked me to be a host, so I became a host for their work and was just honored to do a bunch of films from orangutans to animal homes to a series about bears in Alaska with PBS. And that work led to other work, a uh, little bit with Nat, Nat Geo, not as much as yourself, but a little bit here and there, and then uh, with the BBC as well. So all the while telling stories um, and trying to have these films make impact. So connecting them to a to a campaign of some sort or an effort to help the species or the people involved and that's the journey up to now and then yeah if you want I can talk more about what what the transition is now absolutely I mean what I what I love about the stuff you're doing is that um, you know for a long time conservation has been like a dirty word in the TV industry you know most channels are kind of steered away where you're pitching an idea about conservation it's, well you know it's it's not you know that entertainment kind of word that we want to have in there and I think what's great about what you're doing is you're making shows that are entertaining they're showing wildlife they've got great information in but they have an end goal that links back to con conservation as well and I think that's so important and you're obviously doing a lot more like that yeah, definitely. I think it's the, it's the end point. I, I wouldn't see any other reason to do films, to be honest, if it didn't have an impact on the ground and, um, and not just inspire people. But the problem is when you're watching something on a television, it seems distant, doesn't it? It's a little bit of a... You feel like you're delivering to a passive audience. 
Um, but these days we've got this ability to engage an active audience be through social media, through, through this whole new ecosystem that we never saw coming, right? You know? So that's what we're moving to now and shorter format films as well. So reaching people on social media where they already are, Facebooks and YouTubes of the world, and then short format, five seconds to five minutes long, about wildlife inspiring stuff that's super easy to share. And this is with Uproar. Yeah, this company, is Uproar. Uproar yeah. And we just got going. We're on the brink of a, a, a giant experiment, as we call it, you know. So, um, But it's, it's exciting. We've got a great team gathered um, and uh, a, a plan to really do two things. It's like make really good content and build a massive audience and then impact conservation with that with that, that massive audience. Have them contribute, have them uh, 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 feel like they're a part of the solution rather than watching a TV show and turning it off kind of thing. And I think, I don't know what your perspective is. I, I feel like people are ready for that, don't you? I mean, this day and age? Absolutely, 100%. I mean, people are engaging so much now with social media on, on so many topics that it's where we have to meet them. That's where everyone is now. And I think it's so important, but it's a hard transition. And that was gonna be my next question to you is, you know, what has the transition been like from kind of the standard um, pitching and, you know, writing treatments and, and moving through the production process to now having to incorporate this this vast body of social media as being part of your marketing platform? You know, how are you embracing that? <laughs> Personally, not really well. <laughs> it's hard. You and I have talked before about like, the struggle of being uh, on top of social media needs because everybody has to be. I'm lucky now because through Uproar, I'm going to be working with a team that's really, really good at that and that they'll, they'll kick me if I don't do my part, right? But um, it is a tricky thing, isn't it? I, I mean... You sound very much like I am. I love being in wild places and I love bringing those stories back to, to people that I love and love bringing them back to big audiences. I feel so lucky to do that. But there's sometimes a block with social media. I don't do it as often as I should. I don't do it. I'm quite good at it when I do, but and people seem to like it and people seem quite engaged, I've been told, rather than just a, a passive audience, my, the people that follow me. And it's not a huge number at this point, but it's growing. Those, those people seem to be, they're in, you know, they, 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 they enjoy it, but I could do a better job and, and will be doing from here on in, you know, through uproar. So it's a world that we are diving into deep, yeah. Well, and it's, it's learning that new technology. I, I found when I got here, I was pushing myself, okay, Facebook Live, Facebook Live, I've, right. got, I've got to do some. So I actually did one of my, I had done a couple of others, but I did one here. Yeah. And I started off showing the Tetons and how beautiful it was. And I had a sneak peek inside and I walk inside and it cuts off because there's, no, oh, there's no reception. <laughs> and I'm like, that's typical, right? It's because it's a learning curve. I'm super uh, impressed that you did it though. It's well, like, it's more than I've done this week. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it is, it's important and... On a panel you were on earlier in the week, you guys were talking, it was a, a kind of a redefining the on-camera host. And part of it was talking with some of the younger guys, like Bertie, who is with Nat Geo Online, and he's got a huge following behind mm -hmm. him. And he's of the, um, the generation where, of course, he's grown up with this technology, and it's just second nature for him. And he's yeah. out in the field with a camera and doing you know, social media. And I think it's, it's the way we all obviously have to move. It is. And one of the exciting things with Uproar is that we're bringing in people who perhaps weren't born with a phone in their hands, like Berties of the world, in, but we want to be working with the Berties of the world as well. But what we're also encouraging is those people that have great content and great stories to tell to work with us so that we can help tell their stories on social media. So we kind of fill that gap in an exciting way. And I, I love that. I'm dying to, 
I'm all about collaboration and the greater good of doing this for all the right reasons. And, and you know, a place like Jackson Hole with all these great minds and hearts in a room, it's, a, it's an inspiring environment to be in. And, and I want to be part of this wave of nurturing that next generation of people. And as, as hosts, I mean, and, and as content people and as camera people and as you know there's so much talent out there and today they can all find a place online you know they can all have a platform they can all find an audience not easily but we want to help with that so that's a really exciting part of it to me because uh you know we're, we're getting older right we just discussed that we're, we're about right. the same age and it's like you've got to look to the next generation as well and, and yep. we can all work on it together yeah and it is incredible how we're now seeing all this talent because it's right there. It's on YouTube, it's on Facebook, and it's it's impressive how much talent there is. And before, we never had access to that kind of display of talent. You know, you would discover people like I was discovered, you know, by um, National Geographic from, you know, my days at a wildlife park. And, you know, that's all changing. I mean, we're now just seeing this big um, pool of talent that we're able to tap into. Mm -hmm. Now, on the hosting front, uh, on your panel, uh, the whole thing was about redefining it, and, and uh, the, the four of you up there were very much talking about, you know, the different styles of hosting and presenting. Um, and a lot of the time, you know, you, you've done programs where you've got to be more intimate kind of with the camera and the audience mm -hmm. at home, and then other times less intimate and kind of be speaking off camera. T tell us about a few of the styles you've done and what you find the the easiest for you to do mm, I, yeah i love that topic because i love exploring different ways of doing things and sometimes i feel a little bit uh what's the word like i've got split personalities you know because different projects and films demand different styles in some way so our bear trek film is a good example um i don't look at the camera once during bear trek it's more like a fly on the wall following me on this personal journey and then a personal sort of journalistic dialogue that goes with it as, an, as a, a narrative through it you know as, an, as a narration that i do um but i don't ever look at the camera and it's funny because pbs took me on off the back of bear trek seeing it thinking oh here's a guy that we'd like to work with it was awesome you know um but i remember them i remember saying uh, you're not concerned that i wasn't talking to the camera in bear trek you know i, I wasn't doing and they're like really you weren't they hadn't noticed that i didn't it was just quite right? yeah quite yeah. curious really um maybe it was a good thing though because i think you know I, I think it just pulled them in in a way then there's there's other styles of like looking right down the lens and feeling like uh, I mean you've done it a lot. It's like you've got to pretend that that's your best buddy at the end of that lens, don't you? You know, and just get comfortable with that piece of glass in front of your face, and uh, tell that story. And I, I somebody asked me on the panel, you know, yesterday, um, how do you do that? Or, or what was the question? He was asking about talking straight down the lens and and whether you do that or where you sort of choose a spot and look off at a distance kind of thing I describe it as just it's like a conversation sometimes you're locked eyes in a conversation with a human being sometimes you look away and you're thoughtful and it's exactly the same thing and I love that style and then there's another one that I don't think works as well which is talking to producer or talking to the cameraman isn't it you know where you're having a conversation with that person so you're not looking into the lens it loses some some of the personal side of it doesn't it it's the kind intimacy of, yes yeah, the intimacy sure. right yep. right um but works in some settings, especially like behind the scenes stuff and where you're engaging the film crew for real. We did that in Bears of the Last Frontier, where Joe Pontecorvo, the cameraman and producer, was part of the story. We weren't pretending he wasn't there, you know. It's like, come on, Joe, we're off, you know, let's go and find the bears kind of thing, you know. And we did that with Great Bear Stakeout with the BBC as well. So, yeah, sometimes it's the format is predetermined, of course, and then sometimes it's personal preference. I love trying to master... There's styles that I've not tried yet. I, I, I love experimenting, you know, but I like the looking down the lens one, trying to, trying to treat it like a friend. 
So how, how do you feel about it in terms of kind of branding yourself? You're a host. If, if we keep changing our styles, and, and, and I'm asking this kind of for inspiration to people so we understand, you know, what, what's the right way to do this if you're, if you're looking to become a host. If we keep changing our styles, do you think it affects us as, a, uh, as our kind of branding as a host? Hmm. Or do you think it doesn't really matter? Do That's a really good question, yeah. Um, I, I don't think it matters. I think the most important thing is that there is a reason for you to be there. And increasingly, I think audiences want authenticity. They want the real deal. They don't want any BS from the person that they're learning from or taking a journey with. Um, they want to feel like they're joining you and it's authentic. So I think the more pre-orchestrated and scripted pieces are, the less it works for some people. I think I'm best when I feel like I'm bringing the audience on a little adventure. Let's go and find this stuff together. And even if it's a topic like bears that I know intimately well, I've got one of those curious personalities. I want to know more, and I love the discovery, and I love people bringing, being brought along with that. So that's, I think if there's a good reason for you to be there as a host, then the rest should just easily flow. If it's an authentic journey that you're on, um, that's the best place for anyone to be, I think. You know, that's what I would encourage people to try. Well, and, and having that passion, you, you know, it's very easy to see when someone's passionate about their subject and when they're acting passionate about a subject. Right. You know, it's that authenticity that I think works really, really well when, when you see that. And we're seeing a lot of that with social media, you know, where people are out in the field, they're doing it because they're passionate about, about their subject. That's so true, yeah. Now, looking at the, your, the, uh, your productions and um, your crew, Tell us about a bit about the crew. You mentioned Joe Pontecorvo and going out with him, and I think with Bear Track it was probably just you and you and him. A lot of the time, it was, yeah, uh, just just Joe and I, and sometimes an audio person, and sometimes a second camera or even a third behind the scenes camera. But they were sporadic. But yeah, very tiny core crew. Yeah, which kept us nimble and being in Bear Country, it helps. You've not got too many safety issues to think about, and we were just out there on our own doing it for Bears of the Last Frontier in that way, and and for Bear Track as as, as well. Um, it's, it's, it was my introduction to it. That was, that was the way it always was. And then starting to work on other bigger productions like Great Bear Stakeout was immense. It was such a big undertaking. And at any given time, there were like 25 of us camped out in Katmai National Park where the bears were. And it was phenomenal to be a part of that, you know, but uh, much you, bigger you, machine than I was used to. Right. And I wonder how that affects hosts. I mean, I've had the experience of working one-on-one -on -one with a camera cameraman and I've had an experience of going out and having experts with us so we're factually you know being correct with our, our statements um, directors producers executive producers you know like 13 people in a crew and again you start I found I start to lose the intimacy when it gets like that because you're very passionate but suddenly you got a lot of people on the ground all want to have a bit of a say in what's going on and suddenly it feels a bit like you're doing a performance in front of a crowd you know um, yeah, how, how do you feel about that? You can't help but go there. I have the same issue. I'm like, all right, can everyone bugger off? I don't say that, but I, I, I ask someone else to say it. You know, I think it definitely makes a difference. Uh, yeah, it, it, go, it moves from being something that's authentic to something where you feel like you're putting on a, a performance. You can't help it, right? We're all just humans, but um, I think smaller is better. I, I, I also love working with people that I love working with, you know, and that get the best out of you. And I've learned a lot about that, you know. Um, uh, I work, uh, my partner, Brenda Phillips, is a great example. Her and I know each other so well, and she shoots really well, and it's just a comfort zone there. Um, Joe's the same, and um, Mark Carroll I've worked with a lot, um, who's, we're just great buddies. And I think it shows when you film with a great buddy, you know, and I love that. And I, I want to do more of it where I'm 
cherry picking my mates to go and do this stuff you know with because life is short isn't it you know you want to work absolutely you want to work with good people and people you get it i mean i say to people you know there's nothing worse than traveling around the world with people you don't get on with yeah have you ever watched big brother right where (laughs) a bunch of people are thrown into a house yeah who don't like each other that's it's hard work right it is when you're with the production crew one isn't leaving every week right right (laughs) like a big brother you know i worked on this project called siberian tiger quest and it was basically heading into siberian tiger country in russia so it was out in the wilds and you had to be with people that you knew and liked and trusted. I arrived and didn't know any of them. But the executive producer, Mike Burkhead, who's become a great friend and legend in filmmaking, you know, he's done dozens of films for the BBC and others. So he put this crew together and he's awesome at it because he doesn't like working with people he doesn't like either, right? So he put this great crew. And I kid you not, we were in this little ranger ranger station, uh, staying there in bunk beds, six of us piled into this room. It was an amazing film to make and a great story. We got an Emmy nomination for it. And I swear it's because we were with this crew that made it as enjoyable as it was. Right, yeah. Every morning, and every night you had, had hit that pillow and I was in stitches with laughter with these guys. It was just it was just one crack after another and just a really good environment to be in. And I didn't know any of them at the beginning. And, and you know, you get a month in and you know them really, really well. And the result kind of shows it, I think, you know. And I think so. And I think it brings out your authenticity because you're comfortable, you're relaxed and you can be you. Yeah. Instead of having to be a Tom Cruise type character <laughs> of having to, you know, put on your best acting, you know, right. thing because actually you're really uncomfortable and then you've got to act being you, which, yeah. is, which is really hard. Right? I think, what, how did you find delivering scripted lines to a camera. That is perhaps the least authentic you can be, isn't it, as a, as a host? Absolutely. Like, and when most things go wrong. Right, right? Yes. I mean, you know, there's, um, and I don't want to bore the listeners because I think I've said this in another podcast, but I was in India doing a, a scientific paragraph that I had to learn um, while there was a water buffalo with two storks on its back with, in this rice paddy with a perfect sunset. Yeah. And the director's like, now, 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 we've got to get it now. <laughs> no and, pressure. Uh, no pressure. And then, of course, 19 takes, <laughs> right? Because it was a scientific work and it was terrible. And once the pressure built and once it started going wrong, it got worse and worse and worse and worse yeah and it, and then that the authenticity in some ways is just gone yeah whereas you you let me kind of say it in my words yep. without trying to use a, a writer's words or a producer's words and, and it's going to come off more authentic and i think i think we're moving that way with a lot of tv because i think the the audiences are demanding authenticity and i think a lot of that comes from social media yeah, very much so. An interesting mix that I did was with Animal Homes, a three-part series with PBS and Terramata. And there were parts of that that were scripted. Literally, I had to get every line right, you know, in a studio surrounded by bird nests in this case, you know, talking about them as homes. I remember that, yeah, yeah. So then that led to me being on location, though, and springboarded us to different parts of the world, you know, where we were literally in the field. And then once we were there, Anne Prum, the, the producer of that series, was more like, talk a little bit about X or here's the bullet points I want you to convey let's get that across or sometimes she just literally let me go so it wasn't scripted once we were on location and I'd loved that it's like what points do we want to convey here and uh, let's go and discover it together like one point was like this looking at this beaver lodge just down the road here down the river here um, from where we are at Jackson Hole this giant beaver lodge and dam and uh, literally walking across it and sort of unearthing how this thing was built and made and I've just obsessed with beavers since you know I think they're the most incredible engineers walking down the channels that they made into the forest to find food and how they create these dams and lodges and what that is as part of their life it was just amazing and uh, and really fun just literally walking along and Anne had said okay here's where we're going to talk 
about levels of water and how this has created a new ecosystem thanks to the beavers and talk a bit about that chris you know and i love it it's like okay let's let's just go and you and, just let loose yeah. yeah and you don't get it right every first every time you know for the first time but um, but, but it gets you more relaxed and then that as say the authenticity comes through and i think that's so so key yeah. and, and you have that i mean you've won a lot of awards for being a host and you have a very relaxed way of being on camera and i think that draws the viewer in because it is like you're you know we're with you hmm. we're, it's like you you and me on a trip you know every audience member feels like that it's yeah, not like that. you talking to a thousand people in a, on stage you know and, and that's so important because i think it's this intimacy again of being there and feeling like you are a, a personal tour guide mm. you know telling us this information i really appreciate that especially coming from a, a fellow host and someone who's done as much as you have you know that that's great that's yeah, that's, uh, I wouldn't even say that's what I aim for. It's just, I just try to be myself, you know, which is sometimes difficult with a camera lens poked in your face. Right. But yeah, give it so, your best shot. Hey? So where, where now? Um, you've got Uproar. This mm -hmm. is a, a new venture. You're, mm -hmm. you're moving into lots of other things. Bears are your primary kind of species you work with, but are you, are you branching out? What, what's next? Yeah, and PBS gave me an opportunity to do that, you know, into the tigers and animal homes brought us to lots of different species around the world. And I did a, a film about, called The Last Orangutan Eden uh, with Joe Pontecorvo that was on PBS Nature as well. And um, so I, I'm an ecologist, so I love all species. I'm fascinated from, from ants to rhinos, you know, but my deep knowledge is with bears. Because most of my work, in fact, is about conservation. And, and to me, I think if we can crack the relationship between a grizzly bear and human beings in places where they both live, if we can have them coexist in, in mutually beneficial ways, like they do in parts of the Grand Tetons here in the Rockies, we've cracked it for wildlife and humans anywhere. And there's probably great examples in South America in the, in the cat world as well, you know, where if you can crack that microcosm, then it's, it's part of a bigger picture that we should all move towards this coexistence. So all my work is based on that, is really trying to reconnect people with nature. And it's a whole nother blog topic because it's so fascinating, right? How we've got separated from nature and how we feel like we're all so fancy and clever living in buildings like this and carrying around these electronic gadgets in our, our pockets. I spoke to someone from Microsoft a few years ago, he's this Scottish guy, and uh, he wore a kilt to work and was this genius guy, but he had a beard you could lose a badger in, you know? I mean, he played the part, he was obsessed with wolves, and he said to me, I learn a lot from tracking wolves, Scottish fellow. He goes, I learn from the forest and the wolves, and what I do, Chris, is I bring that information back to the to my work at Microsoft and I designed the screen based on the way my eyes work tracking a wolf. I was fascinated by this. And, um, and it was him that got me thinking about this, this world we've created for ourselves that we're not quite ready for and we can still learn from nature. And he said this line, I'll never forget, he goes, uh, he goes, after all, Chris, we are only Homo sapiens version 1.0. And it's so <laughs> true. Right? So we need version 1.0 to get back in the woods and to get back connected with nature. And that's what we're trying to do with uproar on a bigger scale than we probably than we possibly ever could through television. And making it feel like a global community of people that can help this little piece of space dust that we're all floating around on at this Oh, infinitesimally small moment in time that we're all here you know it's like if we can't band together to save this jewel you know what hope is there so ironically we've built this electronic gadget world that we all depend upon these days but it might also be a way to save us in some ways 
Well, I mean, that's fantastic because I, I, I believe that, you know, we're in this social era where we have all these devices, like you were saying, and yet it's all, it, the idea is it's social but it's actually pulling us more apart because people are spending more times being social on their gadget than they are actually coming together as communities and being social. And I think by utilizing that to bring people back together and, and work towards issues that need to be worked towards is, is fantastic. And yeah. Utilizing it in the right way. Very well said. It is, it, yeah. If you can crack both, right? Make sure that human beings still be, are still social creatures face to face. Right. Like we are right now, you Absolutely. know, like eyeball to yeah. eyeball, you know, but then use technology for good rather than just something to become addicted and separated from and by. Absolutely. You know, yeah. you know I, I do a lot of these podcasts over Skype mm. and we don't use video because a lot of the time people are really remote and we can't afford the bandwidth. Yeah. Um, and it's so disconnected. Mm. And so like sitting here with you now, looking at you, we're mm -hmm. having a conversation mm -hmm. and it's far more enjoyable and, and you know, to get far more out of it than, than us, you know, just being on a telephone call. It's human nature, so, isn't it? That's right. We're just, we're just silly apes at the end of the day. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> absolutely. So, so as we both know, right, on productions, things go wrong all the time, yeah. right? More so than anyone would ever believe. Yeah. What, what are some of the kind of issues you've had during filmmaking? Is there any standout points of, I don't know, technology failing, you failing, oh, you know, dropping you're too tired? God, <laughs> at one point we dropped a whole camera in a, um, a river um, as, as we were trying to get across it, and it was one of only two cameras, and we're in the middle of nowhere in Alaska. The stuff like that goes doesn't happen too often, thankfully. Um, but, man, it's just catastrophic when it happens in a wilderness area like that. And working around big carnivores all the time is something that is that is uh, uh that can be tricky from a safety perspective and back to the small crew stuff you know like working with a small crew at one point i'm there with joe and we have this grizzly bear that's following uh following us and it, it turns out it was a female grizzly bear on the coast of alaska brown bears they call them there and uh we're like okay well that's interesting and and what i've seen before is that females will sometimes use humans as shields against males and sure enough round the bend comes the big male it's the courting season right so he's following his girlfriend comes around this bend she runs behind us i was amazed at joe at this actually she comes behind us i'm like okay the female's coming around us here joe and uh oh here's the boyfriend and he's looked at us and before you know it i'm like i think he's gonna charge joe and suddenly this guy just like a bullet out of a rifle you know just straight towards us Joe didn't lift his eyeball from that lens for a single oh, that's second. That's a good cameraman. Kept it in focus as this thing was charging towards wow. us and bluff charge, stopped a few feet in front of us. But now stuff like that, it could be catastrophic, but if you capture it on film and it ends well, it's like, oh my God, it becomes a fantastic part of the film, you know? So so sure enough, she was using, using us as a, as a shield, a human shield against her, the advances of her new boyfriend, but it all ended well, but yeah. Um, trying to think of other stories that well that that that's when knowing animal behavior and being an expert in your field comes in so handy yeah right because yeah. You, you know when to run and when not to run exactly exactly <laughs> right? yeah yeah as well on that on that kind of um on that kind of vein um what about uh, most incredible experiences you've done some traveled some amazing places seen amazing things yeah what would what's a highlight uh a few of them being in orangutan country was pretty amazing and being with the researchers out there that are trying to understand these these massively intelligent primates that are looking down from these ancient trees and in sumatra where we were that was something that would stick with me and then walking along these muddy trails to find those orangutans and coming across a tiger track oh that 
I'm obsessed with wildlife tracking. You know, I get more excited about a pile of bear scat or a bear track than I do seeing the bear itself. And so seeing that tiger track that was still filling with cloudy water as we stepped over it and underneath the tree with an orangutan in it, that was amazing. And then the Siberian tiger stuff was incredible. It's a bit of a spoiler alert here, but on Siberian Tiger Quest, I go out and I put camera traps out to try and see if I can capture a camera in the way that Sue Young Park, the character in our film with me, did. And he spent years in a pit in the ground waiting for tigers to come, to come along, wild tigers to come along, and he wanted to film them for the first time, and he did. Came away with about a 1,000 hours of footage over five years, and he'd spent weeks in a pit in the it's ground. A, I've seen that. It's astonishing. God, astonishing. It's amazing. So I tried to repeat it on a mini basis, you know, put 10 camera traps out, put them out there for a couple of weeks, checked them all, and... It was the last camera, it was the last SD card on our last day of the shoot. And I'm like, there's no way. We checked dozens and dozens of clips from all the... So we had wind bushes moving, we had wild cats, which was awesome, we had seeker deer walking by, we had all these different... No tigers on any of them. We got to this last one and it's funny, right? The camera has got to be rolling the whole time because you want to capture the moment of discovery. So sat through an hour the cameraman's rolling for an hour got to the last clip on this thing and oh my god it was a tiger and i just lost it you know i just uh, welled up with tears and i i couldn't believe it it was it was it was the perfect ending to the story that we really weren't anticipating you know so yeah there's so many experiences in the wild eh? it's just it's it's magic wherever you are i just uh, yeah i love it it's amazing how it can always be the last minute. I had a similar situation with the sardine run in, uh, off the coast of Durban. Oh, yeah. And we were out there five days, not a lot of time to be filming a sardine, the sardine run, right? We had a, um, we were waiting for a bait ball, and four days went by, four and a half days go by nothing. And we're yeah. like, okay, this is a bust. Halfway through the, the last day, bait ball, bang, there it is. The majority of the show is that last half a day of filming, right? <laughs> it's just right, incredible yeah. how these things happen. Now, um, Chris, I know you've got to shoot. You have a meeting. One last question for you. If you had one piece of advice, a nugget mm. to throw out there to people who are looking to um, be a host or even just get into the wildlife filmmaking industry, mm -hmm. what would that be? It would be don't wonder about it too much. Just get out and do it. If you've got a phone in your pocket, it's probably got a camera on it, and that's all you need these days. God, it would have been different a different conversation five, ten years ago, wouldn't it? You know, but now anyone can do it. So don't talk about it, don't think about it, just get out and, and do it. And if you find a comfort zone and you're good at it, you'll be noticed. That's the other extraordinary thing, isn't it? You know, so yeah, go and do it, you know. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, listen, you've also got a bunch of links for people to find you. Just quickly give us those, and I'll also put links up on the webpage. Great. But where, where can people find you online? So a good hub for my stuff is chrismorganwildlife.com. Um, and my Facebook, Chris Morgan Wildlife. And then as Uproar unfolds, it'll be theuproar.com. Um, we've not launched yet, so there's not a lot of uh, uh, content there on the Uproar site, but that's going to be happening later this year and into next year. So, yeah, I appreciate that, Jake. Thanks. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, you, it's been a pleasure. So, hey, I, I appreciate it. Thanks Cheers, so mate. much for being on the show. Thanks and, for having um, me. Enjoy the rest of the festival. And you. Thanks, mate. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, then please leave a rating and a comment. And remember to subscribe to keep up to date with the series. You can find out more information on wildlife filmmaking at masterwildlifefilmmaking.com, where you'll find valuable free resources like downloadable reports and video tutorials. Thanks for listening.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.